so the rest of us, we're in uh, Luke chapter 18. Uh, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke lately, and we've been, uh, I've, I've been bouncing around in kind of a non-chronological order, but I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm just trying to pick up themes, and I'm uh, probably going to end up making this a, a two-week sermon, so probably part two a little bit next week, because uh, when I pre-recorded it yesterday, it went way too long, in a good way, in a good way. So uh, we're going to look today at uh, two scenarios when Jesus encounters these individuals who are desiring to see him, desiring to encounter him and who he is, and Jesus shows up in their lives in a powerful way, even when everyone in their community thinks that these two people are a bit of a bother and that they are not worthy of Jesus' time in their minds. But that is not going to be the case. That's not reality. Our Lord, He cares for you. He cares for all of us. Uh, and yeah, you'll see how much God loves you and, and what He's done for you. Uh, and it becomes more and more uh, enjoyable, more and more incredible the longer you live and realize how much grace He has for you, right? Because like, the longer you're a believer, you're like, man, surely He'd give up on me now that I still struggle with, you know, some of the same sins that maybe I'd started with. But no, He's invested in your life for the long haul. Uh, he's going to bring to completion the work that He has began in you. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 18, verse uh, 35. And so here's Jesus. Uh, it says, As He drew near to Jericho, a man was sitting by the roadside begging. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Uh, based on the other gospel accounts, this man's name is Bartimaeus. Uh, and hearing a crowd going by, so this man doesn't know what's going on, he just hears this commotion, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And so imagine this, this blind man perhaps has heard some of the stories of what Jesus has been doing in his region, has heard of these testimonies, he's never seen this for himself, but he hears like, wait a minute, Jesus is passing by right now. Like, right now. Like, it, what am I going to do? How am I going to get his attention? How can I get this encounter with Jesus that I require? Right? And, and he realizes he's got this one moment and it's literally passing him by right now. That the kingdom of God himself is at hand and he's going to need to do something about it. And so he hears that Jesus is passing by. And in verse 38, he cried out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's crying out, trying to get Jesus' attention. All right? And then the crowd wasn't a big fan of that. Verse 39, it says, And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Right? Like, they're like, hey, quiet. Jesus doesn't have time for you. All right? Jesus has a bigger thing going on. He's got a greater mission than your life and your problems. Like, be quiet so you're not ruining it for the rest of us, essentially is what the crowd is saying. But yet this man chooses to despise the shame, and he cries out all the more. All right? He cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. A few weeks ago, we looked up the kind of meaning of that phrase, Son of David, and it's actually an identification of Jesus as the Messiah that was prophesied from the Old Testament, that Jesus himself is the coming king, right? The Messiah, the anointed one who is coming to save and redeem uh, Israel, right? And, 
And this is one of the things that he identified him as. So he realized Jesus is more than just a simple carpenter, uh, a homeless individual that's traveling around teaching morality. No, no, this is someone who is the king of kings, all right? And so, so he cries out all the more. Verse 40, and Jesus stopped and then commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Right? So Jesus right, gets, gives his attention to this man, and he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Right? Because this man has been frantically crying out to get Jesus' attention, even when everyone else was telling him not to. And so this man responds, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And so we see that Jesus is in fact anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit to go about doing good, healing all of those oppressed by the devil, right? That he's been anointed to liberate captives and to give sight to the blind. And so this becomes an additional evidence pointing to the validity of who Jesus says he is. And this was a really big deal for this man, Bartimaeus, right? Because this is a life-changing experience for him. And what Jesus says, he identifies as has typically been the pattern. He says, listen, your faith has made you well. That, that faith don't think of as some kind of like arbitrary religious concept. Faith literally just means believing God. Believing God. So it's not merely believing in the concept of God. All right? It's believing what God says. All right? Believing what God would have to say. And Jesus saw this man's faith at work when he was seeking Jesus as he was passing by. All right? And so Jesus saw evidence of this man's faith. This man had faith to ask for something as bold as his sight being restored. And Jesus is like, hey, Faith is the means by which you take hold of God's kingdom, all right? Faith is the means by which you experience God's work in your life. And verse 43, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God, all right? And so now instead of this man sitting on the way to Jericho begging for the rest of his life, he's now been granted his sight after seeking Jesus and now he is a follower of Jesus. He's someone who's, who's living a life glorifying God in what Jesus has done for him that he could never have done for himself and continuing to learn and pursue Jesus. And what's interesting, it says, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The very people who moments ago were trying to shame this person, say like, be quiet, Jesus doesn't have time for you, when they see Jesus reach this person and meet his need, they now finally get the big picture like, actually, no, this is pretty awesome, and we're all now praising God together. So it's a, it's a good day. It's, it's a good day. Uh, now, one of the things I think is interesting that uh, with a particular frequency in these couple of chapters in Luke, the word rebuke shows up uh, quite often, uh, that there's actually a few different encounters, and we've already read some of them in, in previous weeks, but we saw that here in this moment, the crowd is rebuking this man for crying out for mercy. All right? And so when, when we think about the idea of rebuking, it means to express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone or their behavior. All right? And so when we think about rebuking, we don't want to rebuke the wrong things, right? Because 
These people, this crowd was wrong in their rebuke. They should not have been trying to shame someone who was seeking mercy from God. All right, that's not the proper thing to do. But we've, we've seen even Jesus' own disciples screw this up before. In Luke chapter 18, verse 15, it said that now when they were bringing even infants to Jesus, that he might touch and pray for them, all right, that the, when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. So the disciples have been wrong before about who they've rebuked, right? They've said, like, get these kids and these parents away from here. The, Jesus is too busy for them. All right, uh, that later on in Luke 19, and we've read this passage already, but it talks about Jesus entering Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. And in verse 37, it says, As he was drawing near, already on his way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. All right, they were saying, The worship they are giving you is only worthy of God. Like, this is blasphemous for your people to be worshiping you in this way. And Jesus responds basically saying, If, if they are quiet, the very rocks, creation itself will cry out and worship him. All right, and so here's another instance of rebuking for the wrong reason, right? And so we don't want to be in the category of people rebuking people for, right, seeking mercy, rebuking kids for seeking Jesus, uh, rebuking people for worshiping Jesus as God, right? That's not what we want to do. But Jesus himself did actually indicate there is a time when rebuke is appropriate. And this is interesting, right? Because this isn't typically the, the perspective we have of Jesus, but in, in Luke 17, 3, Jesus said, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. All right, that there is this instance when for the sake of not judgment, but for the sake of restoration, we would lovingly correct a brother, that we would invite them into repentance, into experience the life and hope and freedom from slavery to sin that Jesus would want them to have. And so, so it's interesting, like these kind of moments in this nuance of, when it's inappropriate to rebuke someone seeking mercy, but there is a time to rebuke someone when they aren't seeking the mercy that God would have for them. All right, and we've seen that in this passage, this, this blind man, Bartimaeus, is crying out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And think about how humbling that experience was, right? But he had no other choice because Jesus was going to pass him by as he's heading towards Jericho. All right, but yet he still chooses to cry out to God, realizing his own helplessness and the fact that Jesus is the only one who can offer him hope. And when he recovered his sight, the people rejoice, right? The people praise God. He himself glorifies God because of what Jesus has done. So let's keep reading the very next verse in Luke 19.1. We're going to see Jesus have mercy on another person. And so now he finally enters Jericho and was passing through. So it seems as though Jesus wasn't planning on staying the night. He was just going to head on through Jerusalem. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. 
Now, last week and a couple of weeks before that, we read about the rich young ruler, someone who was seeking Jesus, asking the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus answers him, the man thinks that it's too costly a decision, and he chooses to leave sorrowfully, right? He's weeping as he walks away from Jesus. But Jesus still has hope for rich people, all right? Jesus still has hope for their salvation. And so here's Zacchaeus, someone who's the chief tax collector in Jericho, all right? And in verse 3, it says, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. So he likewise had heard something about Jesus. The, the word had spread about who this Jesus was. Some had been calling him a prophet, some of them calling him a good teacher, some thinking that Jesus was one of the prophets of old, raised from the dead, right? But he's interested, who is this Jesus person? Can I place my hope in him? And so what happens is this man, this rich man, Zacchaeus, wants to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And so what's interesting is that Zacchaeus, even though he has authority, he's the chief tax collector, even though he's rich and well-to-do, he does not have the respect of his community. All right, that at this time period, tax collectors were viewed basically as traitors to their own people, choosing to make a quick buck, exploiting their own community for the sake of uh, serving the Roman Empire, the, the governing power at that time. And so the crowd refused to make space for short Zacchaeus to be able to see Jesus. All right, and he could, have, he could have given up. He could have maintained his own pride, even though he'd just been kind of publicly embarrassed, not being given a moment uh, to, to see Jesus. But this is what he does in verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. All right, Zacchaeus is in the same spot as Bartimaeus. Right? He knows Jesus is passing through. This is my one chance to encounter and experience the kingdom of God. This is my one moment. And, and am I going to let the crowd just push me away? Right? Am I going to let them shame me so that I don't pursue and seek after Jesus? Am I, well, I guess, I guess, well, that's too bad. That would have been great if I could have seen Jesus, but it wasn't for me. I'll just continue living my life my own way as this rich chief tax collector. But no, he chooses to run on ahead. He kind of predicts the trajectory of Jesus through Jericho, and he finds this tree, and embarrassingly, this grown man, this short man, chooses to climb up this tree. And, right, I have a feeling he's not just randomly climbing trees. He doesn't do this all the time. He's doing this because he sees that Jesus is heading this way. And preachers before me have made this point before, that long before Jesus uh, long before Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus, the tree was planted to meet his need. All right, that, that Zacchaeus, he had a, a degree of foresight and planning to be like, Jesus is moving here. I'm going to go climb this tree so then I get to see him. But before Zacchaeus ever had the thought or the desire to seek after Jesus, Jesus was already planning on coming through Jericho. Jesus was already planning on seeking to save the lost and giving him opportunity to reach out and experience the kingdom of God, to reach out and experience the salvation that he offered. And so Jesus, I want to point out, wants to be found. All right? Jesus is one who died for you publicly, declaring his love and affections and his plans for your life. All right? Jesus wants to be found. But it doesn't mean that Jesus can be found without 
a little bit of effort on our parts. And so verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up at the tree, right, and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And so what's interesting here is when Zacchaeus' own community had ostracized him, right, no one would sit with him at the cafeteria at lunchtime, right, Jesus is like, I'm going to go eat lunch with Zacchaeus. I'm going to go hang out with Zacchaeus. I'm going to honor Zacchaeus by, right, going and staying at his place, right? I plan on being with Zacchaeus. And so Jesus is a little bit bold. He invites himself over, but this is a good thing. You want Jesus to invite himself into your life, I assure you. But what's interesting is that Zacchaeus, it's going to, right, cost him, you know, hosting Jesus and his disciples. It's going to cost him something. There is a, an actual cost to following Jesus, but notice his response. He's not weighing it out uh, like the rich young ruler did. He's not thinking about like, I don't know, if I start hanging out with Jesus, he's probably going to mess up my life the way I already like it. I've kind of been working towards this my whole life. I like what I've made for myself. I've got my own little kingdom. It's going to cost me if I start hanging out with Jesus. But he doesn't regret that cost. He does not walk away mournfully like the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus is one who receives Jesus joyfully. All right, that when you and I get a full grasp of what Jesus offers us, whatever the cost, it is worth it, and that we can receive him with joy, okay? And so, so it's not like you have to sit there too long and weigh out the pros and cons and kind of be like, I don't know, like is, this might not be worth it, or maybe, maybe I'll just give Jesus one of those deathbed confessions. Jesus, I'll give you that, but let me live my life my own way first. It's like, no, 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 Zacchaeus realizes the gift that is being given, and he receives it with joy. I want to point out that in Jesus' bold self-invitation here, that Jesus is going to get into your business, all right? Jesus is going to invite himself into your life and my life, and Jesus has authority to do that. All right, he's going to invite himself into our lives. There is not some version of Jesus where he's going to bless us from a distance and, and he's going to ignore us completely. All right, there's not a version of Jesus that does that. There's only one version of Jesus, and it's the Jesus who will never leave you nor forsake you. All right, it is the Jesus who is with you to the end of the age. All right, it's the Jesus who wants to co-labor with you, work with you with signs and wonders following, that he wants to be at work in your life, invested in you, bringing about fruit in your life. He wants in your life. All right, he is one who's going to help us to be strong and courageous and to never back down. We can't live this life in our own strength, and Jesus is the only means by which we can do it. When I read these two passages uh, in the last couple of weeks, and I was thinking about him, it made me think of one of the churches that Jesus sends a letter to in the book of Revelation. Uh, and someday I'd love to do a series about Jesus writing letters to the seven churches, just like when Jesus does Yelp reviews of churches, like, he, you know, this is a three-star church sort of thing. I don't know, because he says very interesting things to those churches, and it's good to reflect on, right, what would Jesus say about us? What would Jesus be thrilled about us, and what things would he correct about us, right? But here we go. In, in Revelation 3, 17, this is one of the things that Jesus instructed the Apostle John to write down. 
and he says this, For you say, he's speaking to the people in that church, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. All right, this is one of the things that Jesus had identified about that particular church. And think about the rich young ruler who feels as though his life has got everything he needs. It's his own sustenance, his own strength, his own experience, his own talent that has gotten him to where he is. And, and he's like, I don't need anything. Zacchaeus could have felt the very same way. And this is what Jesus says to that church. You say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. All right, Jesus is willing to point out a hard truth. And he does so not so that he feels better about himself, but it's because he loves us. He's willing to point out a hard truth. But he's also not doing this just like to leave us where we are. He intends on solving this problem. All right, but the, the point is that you and I could live our lives in such a way in which we're satisfied with our own comfort, our own level of success, right? Whatever we've obtained for ourselves when Jesus might have a completely different measurement of what he would consider a successful life. And that eventually, when we step into eternity, we will fully agree with Jesus' assessment. All right, it's possible to live a life not realizing that it's pitiable, is what Jesus says. So verse 18, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and, to, uh, and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. All right, Jesus offers the solution to our own brokenness, right, to our own screwed up problems, to our own blindness, that Jesus intends on gifting us righteousness in exchange for our sin, right? Jesus wants to bless us. And this is what he, he offers to that church, right? And so in this passage, I'm seeing both, right, Bartimaeus and his experience, Zacchaeus and his experience, but Jesus is saying, I have something for you better, and I want to give it to you. Verse 19, Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, and so be zealous and repent. All right, Jesus loves us. Jesus cares for us, and Jesus refuses to leave us in a state that is wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, right? Jesus doesn't want us to live a life of mediocrity. Jesus wants to work through us and empower us and equip us for every good work that he's called us to, right? Jesus wants us to be zealous for these things. He, he tells us the truth because he loves us, but he wants us to be zealous, passionate about repentance, something that in our own nature, would not be something we'd be excited about, right? The idea of repentance literally means to change our mind, to turn from living life our own way. But Jesus doesn't want us to live with a degree of apathy in which we think everything is fine and dandy when in, in reality we are broken, right? Jesus wants us to passionately seek after him and his kingdom to turn from living life our own way, that our sins are not something that we can ignore or something that we can be comfortable with because they're not ignored by Jesus. And he does this because he loves us, that he wants to free us and equip us. And then check out verse 20. He says, Behold, 
I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. All right, just like Bartimaeus hearing Jesus walk by, that was an invitation of Jesus coming into his life. All right, just like Zacchaeus, Jesus literally knocking on his door essentially and inviting himself over for dinner, right? Jesus wants in Zach's life is what he's doing. All right, so Jesus wants to come into your house. Jesus wants in your life. Jesus wants in your business, and he is authority to be in your business, right? He is the king of all the earth, sovereign over all things, and he has your best interest at heart. Jesus does this because he wants friendship with you. He wants fellowship with you. Notice the thing that Jesus desires is to literally to spend time with you and I, to have a meal together, to have time together. He wants to be in your life. He wants to be with you. That's the thing that Jesus pursues and desires. So let's jump back to the story about Zacchaeus in in verse 7. So Zacchaeus has Jesus invite himself over to his house, and now the crowd saw it. This is probably some of the same crowd that was just rebuking Bartimaeus moments ago. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. All right? So they're not rebuking this time, but they're all like, oh, I can't remember, like murmuring, grumbling. They're, they're saying something. They're, they're acknowledging like, does Jesus know who this guy is? Right? He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Right? The crowd is grumbling. They're like, this isn't right. Jesus should not be hanging out with Zacchaeus. That's why we weren't letting him see Jesus, right? Like, doesn't Jesus know this? And we've, we've seen this trend before throughout the Gospel of Luke when people are like, no, 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 those people are too sinful for Jesus. We're just going to offer Jesus our best. But I want to point out that when Jesus came down into the world, right, when God became incarnate, became a man and lived and dwelt among us, every person that Jesus associated with was a sinner, All right, it's not like he had, like, better options to pick from. All of us were broken and rebellious against God. And so the fact that he came down to the earth to begin with, he was already getting his feet dirty, right? He was already in and among us. There's not, like, some of us that are are less rebellious or less sinful. And so so these people, they nonetheless grumbled. They looked at themselves as being better than Zacchaeus. All right, maybe to a degree. They had been at least trying to live right where Zacchaeus to that moment was not. But they grumbled. They disbelieved the authenticity of Zacchaeus in receiving Jesus. They, they didn't think that Jesus should go hang out with Zacchaeus. All right? And so like, likewise for us, we shouldn't grumble when Kanye West supposedly becomes a Christian, right? Like, we can rejoice when even a great sinner, right, comes to repentance because that's all of us. That's all of our experience. Right? We shouldn't grumble. We shouldn't be surprised when sinners repent because that's the hope that we have in Jesus. It had never been anything to do with you or I. And so verse 8, it sounds like, I don't know if this is in the same moment or when he's at his house, it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, I want to point out, notice the sequence of the story here. Zacchaeus didn't say this, and then Jesus was like, 
hey, I want to hang out at your place. All right, Jesus didn't pursue Zacchaeus because of his good works. Jesus didn't invite himself into Zacchaeus' life because of his generosity. All right, this guy was screwed up. This guy was someone who was actively defrauding other people, and Jesus went to be a part of his life. So Jesus didn't seek him out because of how good he was. Jesus didn't even ask him uh, to do the same thing that he had asked of the rich young ruler, right? Which was to sell all you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. Zacchaeus seemed to come to this conclusion on his own without it ever being requested of him. That upon seeing the generosity, the grace, the mercy, the love of Jesus, his natural response was to be like, I need to be generous too. That he has done so much for me. I've been gifted so much that my heart's natural response is to likewise give. That's what Zacchaeus did. All right, also I want to point out that Zacchaeus didn't come to Jesus while simultaneously trying to hold on to his former life. He didn't plan on still defrauding people when he came to Jesus. He recognized that he had misused and abused others and that it wouldn't be right to merely somehow receive forgiveness of those things and continue in those things. All right, that, that he chose to receive the forgiveness of Jesus and, in his best attempts, cease from sin. He was no longer going to be practicing those things. All right, others were grumbling about his sin, and Zacchaeus, he ends up coming to the same conclusion as them, like, I can't live a life with Jesus while still living that way. All right, like, I can't continue in living life that way. That the response to receiving Jesus with joy includes turning from our sin. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to live perfect because when we screw up, His grace is still available for us in time of need. His mercy is still available for us. But He chose, I'm going to not only like stop abusing people, I'm going to become neutral, so to speak, but now I'm going to even go beyond that and become generous. I'm going to, I'm going to give now when I previously wasn't. And when I have defrauded other people, I'm going to do what I can to make it right. I'm not merely going to go to them and say, hey, hey, I don't know if you heard, but Jesus forgave me, and so you need to as well. Uh, no, 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 he's going to go and do the best he can to make right the wrong that he had done. This reminds me of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. He says, let the thief, he's writing to Christians, by the way, let the thief no longer steal, right? Stop doing the wrong thing. Stop mistreating other people. But... Rather, let him labor, let him work, right? Doing honest work with his own hands, all right? And so, so he stopped stealing and abusing other people, and now he's providing for himself. But now it's going beyond that as well. The reason that he should work is so that he may have something to share with anyone in need, all right? Jesus does not merely want to forgive thieves, although he does, all right? He, he wants to transform the thief. He wants to make them now a blessing to others. He wants to, through that individual, bless their community and share the hope of the gospel, right? Jesus wants us to be free from slavery to sin and then not to just like somehow break even and just be like, well, I guess I'll stop doing wrong things. No, he, he's equipped you for good works 
and he's the one that's going to be working through you to make it happen. So let's see, back to Zacchaeus, verse 9. And so Jesus hears Zacchaeus respond in this way. Like, he's like, Jesus, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to pay it back four times over. And so Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. All right, and so notice, Jesus says salvation has come to this house, and not just in the sense that Zacchaeus, right, experienced grace and mercy and forgiveness and salvation and eternal life and all that, although yes, but literally Jesus, Yeshua, is a name that means God saves, and he came to that house that day, all right, that, that Jesus came to visit Zacchaeus's life and bring salvation, Notice the middle phrase. He said, he also is a son of Abraham. So that when the community of Israelites were rejecting Zacchaeus, Jesus is like, listen, this guy is just as much related to the tribes of Israel as the rest of us. All right? He also is a son of Abraham. He included Zacchaeus as a fellow Jew in that community, someone for whom the Messiah was promised to come to. He's like, he has access just like the rest of you. He also is a son of Abraham. Now, you might be like, well, well Brian, I, I might not be of Jewish descent. I might not be genetically related to Abraham. And the good news for us is we also can be sons and daughters of Abraham, but it's not because of genetics. It's because we share in like faith and trust in God as Abraham did, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We'll investigate that more next week. But this is the idea, is that, that Zacchaeus could be saved because of what the Messiah was doing, that he had access through his faith to receive what Jesus was offering. All right? Jesus saw the faith of Zacchaeus when he climbed the tree. Right when he received him in his house, and when he declared his plan to do the right thing after experiencing grace and mercy in his own life. And so that's what Jesus said in verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus agreed with the city of Jericho that Zacchaeus was a sinful man. He categorizes Zacchaeus as, as lost. He acknowledges this lostness that Zacchaeus had. So he didn't disagree with the crowd. Now, we may not all have Jewish descent or heritage, but we all are lost or were lost. And the good news is, that's who Jesus is looking for. All right, that's the good news, that he came to seek and save the lost, people who had no ability to save or redeem themselves. All right, so you and I have access to the Father through what Jesus has come to do. Salvation has come to this house because Jesus was looking to save the lost. This was his mission. This is why the Father sent the Son. This is what the Holy Spirit revealed through the Old Covenant about the Messiah coming to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the mission. Just as the blind man and Zacchaeus were seeking opportunities to see and encounter Jesus, Jesus was likewise seeking the lost. Jesus was seeking them, right? It isn't as though uh, we somehow like come to our own senses and we're like, 
you know what, I'm going to seek after Jesus as if he'd never been pursuing us our entire lives. Because that's not reality. He's been seeking after you and I. Right? That he plans on restoring you to friendship, to relationship with him. And oftentimes, he's been seeking after us when we had zero interest in who he was. Right? When we had no interest in his kingdom. Right? When Zacchaeus was more interested in his money than his community, right? Jesus was still planning on seeking after Zacchaeus. All right? But what's interesting is in both of these events, now Jesus says he came to seek and save the lost, but in both of these events, it sound, sounds like Jesus was just going to walk right by. It literally said, right, in Bartimaeus' case that, oh yeah, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. That's why everyone's excited. Or when he came to Jericho, Jesus was passing through Jericho. It, it, it almost as if like he wasn't even going to stop. And this is like a classic Jesus thing. Like he, one of the times when he walks on water, he literally is just going to like walk right by the boat of the disciples like frantically rowing. And like he's just going to walk right by and then they got his attention. He does the same thing on the road to Emmaus after he's raised from the dead. Like he hangs out and walks to Emmaus with a couple disciples. They don't recognize him in that moment. And he's, he starts walking on past Emmaus as if he was going to go on. And they're like, well, hey, Jesus, how about you come and have dinner with us? And then it's when he breaks the bread and has communion with them that like suddenly he's revealed to them. Right? But Jesus has done this before where he makes it seem as though he's willing to walk right by. And I want to point out, like, I think this is thematically significant, that Jesus is seeking to save the lost, but he's also giving the lost opportunity to seek after him. All right, the way that he describes it, the way that he, when he sends out his apostles, his disciples, he says, when you go into a town, tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. All right? or, or he and John the Baptist had a similar theme in their ministry in which he would say that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within arm's reach. All right? That Jesus himself had left his throne in heaven to come to earth in order to seek to save the lost, but he's not going to do all of it for you. He's going to walk right by you, and it's your responsibility to take hold of what he's offering. It's your responsibility to encounter the kingdom of God when it comes near. He makes his presence and his kingdom available, but you must reach out and take it. Jesus came to seek to save the lost, and he then shared that mission with us to go into all the world, to preach the gospel to every creature, discipling the nations, teaching them to obey and observe all that he's commanded them that Jesus wants us to likewise be on mission in inviting other people to him, that instead of rebuking those seeking mercy, we are looking for opportunities to share the mercy of God with them, that Jesus loves those who are broken, those who are lost, right, those who are screwed up, sinners, right, and he offers them grace, and now it's our gift to share with others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have been pursuing humanity since the day that we'd sinned against you and broken relationship, broken covenant with you, Lord God. You were already prophesying about your plan for salvation and restoration. 
I thank you, Lord, that you do not deem us so lost that we cannot be saved. I thank you, Lord, that you do not deem us to be sinners of such degree that you would refuse to receive us in friendship, Lord God. I thank you that you are seeking us even when we have no knowledge or awareness of who you are or what you've done for us. And I pray, Lord God, that you would stir up in our hearts this morning as we've heard your word, that we would think about the fact that you came to save us. And I pray, Lord, that for for those of us who have not yet trusted, that you would as a result of your love, your care, your mercy, and your grace, that we would receive you with joy today. I pray for those of us who have already been followers of you, who've experienced your mercy and grace, that, Lord, you would stir us up, that that we would no longer do wrong, that we would no longer rebel, that we would seek to be a blessing and a gift to to others and, and to bless you in the process. And I pray, God, that we would, with equal passion and zeal, that we would pursue opportunities to seek and save the lost, that we would be praying for our neighbors, for our communities, for our co-workers, Lord God, that we would be seeking opportunities to, to, to reveal who you are to them, that we would be able to share in this gift of grace that we've received. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.